0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, product owners all over this great big world, including the people listening in Cleveland, Ohio. Hello and welcome back to Deliver It. This is your Agile Product Owners Podcast. My name is Corey Bryan and I am happy that you are here. I have been trying to get my uh, things straight this month. I have not been successful too much, but I'm still Trying. So, we've got a couple of great guests today um, that I'm really interested in talking to. Uh, great topic. Uh, a couple of things that I read over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the first one was from Marty Kagan, um, who shared a article called The Types of Product Coaching, uh, something that I do and something that I have done for me. Uh, the Different types are around discovery. So you have discovery coaches, which is people learning how to discover a solution that's worth building uh, for the team or for the product owner. Product leadership, this is where it gets into vision, topology, team topology, uh, coaching type strategies. And then there's transformational coaching. So looking at mindset and culture. So one of the things that I really liked about this is Understanding where you're helping somebody at, which of those three levels, and which of those three levels do you need help at, um, and where are some product coaches you can go for that. So I liked Marty's article, as always. I typically like anything that Marty writes, um, and that's one that I thought that you should be coaching and being coached as well as a product person. So look for those different levels. The other one was from Zara Burke with an article for what metrics are the most important for your product? Uh, This is where I think we get into some trouble. Again, the the most downloaded episode last year was on metrics. um, And Zara says, where most teams trip up is they don't know how to find the right questions to answer with their metrics. Again, we're not interested in vanity metrics. We're not interested in metrics that don't help us move what we're trying to do forward so the intent to use uh, she references the heart metrics here Uh, again usage activation engagement those types of metrics are really important Um, and says also equally using a common consistent way of working means anyone in the organization can easily understand any product metrics what they mean and why they're important this is something i've seen often where the product management group or the product organization has metrics but marketing or sales or the ceo doesn't understand them, so they either misinterpret them, they use them wrong, and then there's mass confusion. So understanding which metrics are important to the company and making sure that company understands those metrics and those measurements are what's very important. So great articles from Marty and Zara. Now on to our guests.
1: No doubt that this magnificent vessel will give excellent value for the dollars she'll be earning.
0: My guests today are returning guests. They are professional Scrum trainers at Scrum.org. One is a code tinkerer. Uh, The other is a fantastic presenter. Uh, They are the co-authors of Fixing Your Scrum and the co-owners of Agile for Humans, Todd Miller and Ryan Ripley. Hi, guys. Hey, Corey. Hey. Uh, So I wanted to do a topic, and Todd and Ryan are... The people that I wanted to reach out to, because I know they do a lot of training, a lot of certification classes, a lot of scrum things um, for the organizations that uh, work with them. They talk a lot about it on their <laughs> video podcast. They talk a lot about it in a lot of things. But what I'm curious about is when somebody wants to take a training course, a product owner certification course or training course, what do you, you as the the Certified Scrum Trainers, what do you want them to do before they get into your class? Or what do you hope they know before you get into the class so that the class is better? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm.
1: It's a good question. Um, Todd, I'm going to jump in real quick. I want them to know Scrum (laughs) so that I don't have to spend a lot of time on Scrum in a a product class. Like I You know, part of the reason that Todd and I put a free Scrum Framework course uh, up on our YouTube channel. So if you go to youtube.com slash agile for humans, we have like 20 videos in a playlist called Scrum 101 that basically takes you from beginner to, um, I would say, knowledgeable intermediate about using the Scrum Framework. And it's 100% free. You could watch all the videos. I would love it if every product owner student would watch that prior to coming into the class so that we could, you know, we're still going to talk about the framework from the lens of product ownership, but we don't have to dig into the mechanics of each event and we don't have to um, kind of, you know, instead of spending three hours or four hours on the framework because of a lot of questions, we can spend an hour or two get in and out of it and then really dig deeper into product ownership topics that they really need to learn about so they can go. The role is so difficult that the Scrum framework is just such a small piece of it that it would be great to be able to actually dig deeper into some of those other uh, product-related topics. Okay.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I second that, right? Um, And really, to get to the brute of why, um, we have a lot of stuff that we need to talk to product owners about. Um, And the expectation that they know the Scrum framework doesn't mean that they know it as an expert. It means that they know the terminology well enough that they can leverage Scrum to implement, implement empiricism on their product. Mm. Right. So mechanically coming in, if they don't know the difference between a sprint review or a sprint retrospective, and we have to take 15 minutes to, to give that difference, yeah. uh, that's 15 minutes that we could be talking about a product management strategy that might actually help them succeed. Um, uh, right. So Uh, Also knowing um, some things that we have to let go when we talk about Scrum on product backlog management practices, right? Mm -hmm. So everything on the product backlog is a hypothesis that it's going to deliver some kind of value. If we have to explain the difference between the product backlog and the sprint backlog, again, that takes time. And it takes us away from things that we want to be talking about, like hypothesis-driven development maybe, or or um, ways that you can construct your product backlog that makes it more transparent, or setting expectations with tough, tough stakeholders, or even an underrated skill for a product owner, how do you facilitate? Yeah, Because I don't know if this is true for you, Corey, but when I was a product owner, not all my stakeholders got along.
0: <laughs> well, they're people, right? So no, they're not going to get along.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I second that with Scrum.
1: You know, Todd, even like, even the extra time to to talk about evidence-based management, mm-hmm. you know, actually measuring value, um, current value, um, uh, you know, unrealized value, time to market, and ability to innovate appropriately, which can drive even better product-based decisions. Like having the creating the space for those deeper conversations is, I, I think it's just so critical. Yeah.
0: It's, it, it was interesting when I was exploring the idea and t- one of the things Todd said is we end up teaching too much Scrum because product owners don't know it. So from that, I can right. surmise that you want product owners to have read the Scrum Guide before. You have your, your video course, go watch that. So if you haven't at least done that, please don't sign up to take a training course because <laughs> mm-hmm. you won't get much out of it. Or, or do... Or do sign up, and then immediately, immediately go to the YouTube channel and watch
1: the Scrum yeah. videos, right? So it's a,
0: it's a basic <laughs> level of understanding of here are the terms we're going to discuss. Here's the concepts that we have that we're going to dive deeper into in this two days. And here's the things that you should know before you show up. Is there any kind of requirement that you guys have on... Is this something where somebody is thinking about becoming a product owner or they've been a product owner for six months, but they've struggled with it? Is that a good time to... Come into training?
2: I think in, in any and all the above, or a scrum master that's serve, serving a product owner that doesn't maybe have time to take a training. Um, I think that that's important. Uh, what we find is that um, we get a lot of, but I'll potentially be a product owner in the class, mm-hmm. or we'll have an internal class of all product owners in it, right? And product owners are really busy people. Yeah. Right. So two days is an eternity to spend in training. Um, so, uh, and, and I will say that we do send pre-work. We send pre-work okay. and we say, watch these videos, read the scrum guide. Good. I don't, can't give you an accurate percentage, but if I had a guess, I would say maybe 25%
0: of the people actually do the pre-work. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. So yeah. they come in, first hour, you, you show the, the famous circles and all that, and they ask questions about, excuse me, how long should the daily scrum be? You're like, oh, mm-hmm. please. Yeah, should I be there?
1: Yeah. And, and part of it is we know people are busy, product owners especially. Right, so they have a huge job to do. Scrum is just a small part of it. They have a lot of agile product management things to do. They're working with stakeholders. They're working with customers. They're trying to figure out you know, what's going on going on in the market. What are the competitors up to? And so we have a lot of sympathy for that too. And so if they can't do the pre work, that's fine. But it just it's this is one of those that you know if that work was was done, we could go deeper. And so we we talk about that with students too that. We get you busy. We hope you take this time to do these things because then we can really get into some of the problems that you're yeah. having.
0: And it's a better experience for them, right? And is it the same kind of course? Uh, I mean, I, I imagine most of the courses that you do are around the the, the first level product or the entry level product in our course, and there's multiple levels. Do you have the same type of requirements, uh, same kind of look ahead, same type of reading assignments before they go into other levels as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, very similar. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that same rule applies for, we, for Scrum.org, we have the professional Scrum product owner advanced class. We consider the professional agile leadership essentials evidence based management class, the EBM class. Ryan was referring to evidence based management. We refer, we consider that to be a must have tool in a modern product owner's belt, right? Um, how do you, how do you answer questions about what you're delivering? Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, uh, we, we always provide, uh, pre-assignments and we've been really trying to expand our portfolios of free videos on YouTube and in fact, free classes
1: just for that purpose. Yeah.
2: So, um, hopefully, hopefully that's helping. Hopefully that may help some other people too.
1: Yeah. There's even now an EBM course, right? So if you go to the YouTube channel, you can watch EBM videos that Todd and uh, fellow PST, uh, Wilbert Seeley has put out that, you know, we're trying to get people as educated as possible so that when they show up to the classes, we can start tackling those even more interesting problems, right? It's, to us, you know, part of the whole training landscape is that you know, if, if, people, if, if people are still showing up to our classes and we're only giving them the, the bare minimum basics, I mean, that, that game, we've got we've to move the profession yeah. forward, right? And so part of what we're trying to do is have people show up with that base knowledge so that we can take that next step uh, and not get stuck in well what 's a day like to your point well what 's a daily scrum, yeah. and is it fifteen minutes and that 's all important, but let 's really talk about those product strategies and let 's talk about you know Todd has uh, incredible product owner experience um, it's a, and a deep background in in the the struggles, the successes, uh, the considerations, the trade offs, and how he would make decisions and we don 't always have the time to to express all of that in a class, and that 's unfortunate because it 's that experience. In the context of Scrum, which is what we're teaching, that really has an impact on the student, yeah. right? And so we're trying to push that profession forward a bit. We're trying to create that space for real experience and, and the, the you know the answering of questions and some of the problem solving. And, and we're seeing some good results, right? People are showing up, having watched videos, and and we are getting some better questions.
0: And and it, and it's been it's been fun to see that progression uh, kind of play out. Cool. So I it, it, what I'm hearing then is it sounds like the courses that you're teaching or more intermediate level courses where you need to know the stuff before you come in there's not basic stuff basic stuff is free basic stuff is out there uh, all it takes is your time to go read it or watch it um, and then come to the class to learn more that is our goal that's where okay. we're trying to push the we're trying to push the industry in that direction
1: um to we still have basics and basics are we got to get the fundamentals right whether yeah. you're in a sport you're you're trying to do scrum you're trying to Learn an instrument, if you can't do the basics, you lose, and so we we definitely teach it. but if we could get if we can kind of prime that pump, if we can get people showing up um, through that free content, you know and then we can kind of dig into that. I think it's just a better experience for everybody
0: yeah, sounds like it okay i I'm, I'm always curious too, is how many people that show up to your class, you talked about the knowledge, uh, but twenty five percent of them actually do the assignments or do the read ahead, how many of them come into the class uh, As voluntarily being there versus being told they needed it for some reason, either as their company said you have to do it or a job they're applying for requires it or something like that. How much of that is I'm looking to learn more versus I have to be here?
2: Yeah, I I probably have an interesting take on this. Um, I don't know that it matters. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And the reason why I don't know that it matters is because isn't it up to us as professional trainers to take either student and, within the first hour, engage them in a way that they are primed for learning at that point. Understanding that they may have been forced to go there, right? Or maybe they're going there to try to acquire a certification. I think as a professional trainer, we have to have the ability, the skills, the foundations, and the materials to engage people regardless of their background. Now, you're going to have the exceptions, the people that just feel forced and they hate it and they can't get over it because they feel forced. But from my experience, that's the exception, not the rule. And so for me, that may be a persona that we create and craft course materials for to get engaged out of the gate. But I think that isn't a student problem. I think that's a trainer problem.
1: You know, Todd, I, I totally agree. It would be like a stand-up comedian blaming the audience that no one laughed. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the com- mm-hmm. it's a Todd's point. It's, it's the comedian that's supposed to create the laughs. And we're supposed to create an environment that, as professional scrum trainers, uh, that that whoever is in the room is going. We're going to engage them. You know, I've had this situation. I'm I'm standing at a in, in a class, and there were obviously people there who were voluntold to attend. Yeah. Right? It's you know, and and at one point, you know, I just stopped the course and I said, "Look, I know this was not your choice, but here here are five benefits of being here, and here are the things that we can do uh, to help make this beneficial to you." And just like that that moment of honesty, like I get this, I acknowledge this, but here's how I think this could benefit you. Turn the whole atmosphere of the class around. And I think sometimes we just have to have that pause as professional trainers and just say, look, here's here's what it is. Here's what I'm going to try to do for you. I would love to have you on this journey with me. And I promise I'm going to make this worth your while. And and, and it changed the mood. And so sometimes like to Todd's point, it's on us to do that. And I, yeah, yeah and sometimes it's it's difficult, but hey, being a professional scrum trainer is not a simple job.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, and what do you see people coming in with, you know, if they've read the material or not, what do you see them coming in with their impressions of product ownership that they either didn't understand, you know, if they've read the guide and, you know, did dark scrum or zombie scrum or something like that, and they came into the class? What are some of the bigger discussion points that you have with them um, to get them to understand that this is what? you know, to use your term, professional Scrum is and what it's about.
1: You know, I I think a lot of people walk in uh, to class with an understanding of the product owner as being perhaps a glorified business analyst. Mm. And first of all, I love business analysts. I I think that's a great profession and they do wonderful work and they, they have a valuable role on a Scrum team. But they come in shocked when we start talking about a professional Scrum product owner where they're supposed to have control over the budget. Uh, for their product, and they're supposed to have tactical and strategic direction over the product, and they're not supposed to wait for decision. Like they're supposed to be fully empowered to make a decision about the product. That we're not. That they're not a proxy. That they're not supposed to be waiting for a month to get a decision. Because you know, I think one of the the dirty secrets of of this whole thing that we teach is that Scrum is not a project management framework. And I think product owners love hearing that. But then the second half of of the statement they kind of dread is. Scrum is actually designed to help product owners be opportunistic in the market. And that's where their fear sets in because they're not empowered and they are treated like a proxy right. and they are treated like a business analyst who's just writing user stories and who has no directional or tactical authority about the product. And so th- I think that's like the big thing walking in where the eyes get wide that, holy cow, I own the budget. I own the direction. I own the decisions. I don't have to wait or get permission. Tell me more. Right. And, but then that also becomes the biggest struggle for the scrum master, because now we also say the scrum master is supposed to help you get promoted and elevated to where you can do those things. And I think that's like a huge, that's a huge portion and a big discussion point in the course that a lot of eyes go wide and people realize, holy cow, this is not a mechanical thing. This is, this is empowerment. This is, uh this is true product development. uh, and, And these things, these are hard problems that we have to solve to be opportunistic in the marketplace. I don't
2: think I have much else to add to that. I think that's probably like the center of all the things that we when we talk about, that's the center of all the misunderstandings that we frequently hear. I can't think of anything else that I would think stands out as much as that.
0: So one of the follow-ups that I, that I thought of is, okay, you're telling me I'm in charge of budget. You're telling me I'm in charge of you know, understanding the market and doing these types of things. That's great. Uh, what if my company doesn't believe that, then what do I do?
2: That's where, as Ryan was mentioning, we put pressure back on a scrum master for that. Right? A scrum master isn't just a person that shows up and refills the K cups for a team. Right. It's not it's not what most LinkedIn job descriptions. I mean, we we still look at them, right? I get inboxes about oh, Scrum yeah. Master opportunities. And it's like, can you administrate a tool and run the Scrum ceremonies? By the way, they were never called Scrum ceremonies in the Scrum Guide they their events, you don't Ever. show up with a torch. Yeah. And so we put, yeah. uh, when when they, ask, um, when they ask you that question, we say that you need to partner with your Scrum Master. We, 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 we want Scrum Masters to be organizational change agents. We want them to go in and be able to tackle tough problems like this with management. We find it inexcusable that they don't have the authority similar to what a product owner does. So I think that's a common thing we talk about. Product owners don't have the authority. That's an that anti-pattern we see in the workplace. Scrum Masters don't either. Uh, how many organizations are really adapting the way that their organizations are structured? Um, or how many of them are just remaining the same and calling what they're doing agile?
1: You know, the impl- implication of Todd's comment there is that the Scrum Master is the agile coach to the organization, right? They are expected to be working in the organization to remove this misunderstanding. This misunderstanding about the role of a professional product owner is an impediment to agility. Right, it is blocking many of the of the benefits of using the Scrum framework. Hmm. Right, I mean organizations are not getting the best bang for the buck by diminishing that the the product owner accountability. And and so I think a great Scrum master. We you know we cover this a lot in fixing your Scrum. You know, right. Corey, you mentioned at the beginning, Todd and I co- co-authored a book. It's it's fixing your Scrum available at all at all fine booksellers. Um, we, a lot of our product owner section is all about this, right? It's elevating the product owner. It's the scrum master being a partner to that elevation. And I, I mean, if you're in that situation right now and you're a scrum master and that's not even on your radar, put it on your radar and get to work. Like this is, this is a top five thing you should be very deeply
0: concerned about. Yeah. Okay. And what's one of the things that you get into? So let's say they have a baseline understanding of, of Scrum and you're into the training and you're into the more in-depth conversations like the ones you talk at the book. What are some of the common things outside of, um, you know, how do I get my organization to let me do this? What are some of the other common trip ups that you see? Is it around design? Is it around marketing? Is it around estimates? Anything? What's, what's kind of a common holdup?
2: You know, Ryan, I, I can't help but think about how I reference it a lot and how I had to let go as a product owner. Um, the fact that just because the Scrum team is outputting a lot of things doesn't mean that your customer is going to be satisfied. So this is when we talk about coping with complexity. And so you could be a feature factory pumping out a lot of features and that has no cause and effect on the fact that your customers are going to be satisfied. Um, one of the things that was hardest for me the hardest thing i remember to this day sitting in an office trying to play around with a tool and create dependencies on pbis and do all this fancy stuff and i finally came to the realization as i was looking at data for what was happening in production that i can't find a cause and effect between what we output and what our customers consume i can't do it i could not and i was like we i have been trying to get these users to adopt this one feature for 6 months because i think it's really great for them and nobody was using it and then we shipped a fourth feature and everybody started using that feature. And I had no idea why. Yeah. And I asked customers, nobody could answer why. And I had to let go. And I had to understand that I was better off taking, like thinking in bets like Andy Duke, I was better off taking small bets and hoping for the best and validating yeah. it and hoping that my hypotheses in the future would be better. And I think that we see students struggle with that a bit. Um, and hopefully by the end of the course, they don't anymore because we've given them a lot of valid arguments for how they take that information to stakeholders. But I think that, that for me is one of the topics that um, you can see a lot of, you see light bulbs go off eventually, but you also see headaches emerge in the beginning of it, right? Yeah.
1: Well, and, and we reference a lot of uh, Daniel Vicante's work. And in this space, he's argued countless times that the order of the work is irrelevant. Uh, work it through your system. Like if you have a great flow system, the order, because to Todd's point, you often don't know which feature is actually going to spark. And so you may as well make sure your, your system of work is in great or your, your workflow definition is in great shape. And that flow is, is being achieved because the flow of work is going to be far more important than than the actual order. And so you can take that too far. Um, but I think fundamentally to Todd's point, you know, flowing the features out in a reliable, high quality, uh, productive way is going to be um, far more beneficial than trying to conjure up some kind of method to figure out which is the perfect of these three features. Let's get good at delivery. And and that way we can inspect, adapt, take really small bets, and small bets are inexpensive. Now, how many organizations, Corey, have you seen where small bets are expensive? It's expensive to ship. It's expensive to get feedback. It's expensive to learn. And so your small bets end up actually costing you more.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's because they can't separate out a small bet and deliver just a small bet. It has to be packaged up with 14 other small bets and those have to be yep. packaged up with this other f- initiative or thing that goes on. They can't just release one small thing. I like it when, um, I think Ron Jeffries has uh, a quip What he talks about, what would it take for to change your language on your login page? Yep. Um, if you had to change that or you wanted to change that, how long would it take to get that into a customer's hands? That's a question question I've been using on my interviews lately is asking that, how long would it do? Some places say a week, some places say a month, one place said an hour. (laughs) Okay, cool. There we go. That's better. (laughs) That sounds good. But that's a great product owner consideration. So
1: that time to market, time to market, part of the EBM framework that, you know, Todd and I are passionate about. How many product owners are passionate about time to market? And are, and are really looking at that hard and then partnering with developers to figure out what is it about delivery that's hard and how can we invest in fixing that? What a great consideration, something that we talk about constantly in our courses, right? We, we have to have a holistic approach to product delivery. We can't just look at, well, I want a new feature, new feature, new feature, new feature. If we're not investing in the things that allow us to, to be opportunistic, to release quickly, then what does all that research matter? Hey, we have an opportunity. It's It's got a 48 you know 48 day window but it takes us 75 days to release right well then identifying the opportunity is worthless yeah right yeah
0: how has your training evolved seeing what people come into the training they're in there for 2 days let's say you hear from them 3 months later what are they coming back and saying you know this part really helped me but i'm still struggling with this part and is that something you're trying to pull into your to your training what is that thing you've heard lately Um, We've heard a lot of conversations about evidence-based management, you know,
2: because we, I mean, in a product owner course, you don't have time to deep dive deep into it. We have a one-day course in in and of itself. Uh, So that's why we're deciding to launch uh, like a free online kind of uh, course about it, right? Um, You know, because that really provides like a holistic understanding. Ryan mentioned one dimension of it, um, which is an evidence portion called time to market. But there's a couple other dimensions that I think help product owners understand where they may be focused, potentially over-focused or under-focused. And it's really a good sense-making mechanism for that. So we have a lot of that coming back in because I think we're turning on to the concepts and then it's kind of, well, how are we, how are we applying those concepts? Um, That's, that's one, that's one thing we hear. We hear people coming back and asking quite a bit is um, really, what do I, how do I talk to my stakeholders in a more informed way? And that's what we think evidence-based management does with goals, evidence and, Empiricism
1: right okay yeah it, it's just it, to, to Todd's point they're coming back and they're like look the the, the mechanics of scrum make sense we've make some we've made some great improvements on delivery uh, we have a sense of of, of of value but then you know a, a clever stakeholder or a scrum master will challenge them and say how do you know and, and that question is the one that they're coming back with they're like hey how do I know like if this is valuable or, and it's, and that's what EBM sets to answer. And that's why, you know, to Todd's point, that's been really front of mind for a lot of product owners in the industry lately. It's how do I know the things that I believe, uh, how do I know that they're actually true? Right. And and so this framework is helping to put, to to quantify and qualify the things that we believe and turn them into actual facts and truth. Uh, and that's been, I think, a source of, of so many questions lately that, uh, um, and it's good to see because that means that the, the and that means the profession is, is 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 becoming professional, right? We're moving out of this this hand waving and guessing, and yeah, everything's great. The feature factory is is turning along. Instead, it's is that actually valuable? And how do I know if that's valuable? And I, I love that those questions have shifted.
0: That's great. Yeah, I, I did a whole episode on EBM, uh, I think forty six, and it's it, with your videos coming back now. I think that's getting a lot more traction. Um, yep. that's coming around. So that's great.
2: Yeah, it's inter- it's interesting, Corey, because evidence-based management uh, has been around for quite some time. So, I mean, Ken yeah. actually um, got a lot of the concepts from the medical field, right? But he wrote about it in software in 30 days. It's been around for quite some time. I've used it with organizations for a, for a long time. I'm uh, really happy to see the revitalization of it because now is a great time for this thing. Um, it's really important. It's, uh, I think, continues the evolution of organizations. It may be a mirror that some people don't want to see. Um I've
1: personally found that out,
2: <laughs> but uh, check it out. anybody that's listening, really dig into it. It's really worth really worth it, and, and, and product owners is going to help you.
1: There might be some mirror, mirror on the wall moments, right? <laughs> well, it might not tell you that your product is the prettiest of them all.
0: I you mean, know? that's that's the common phrase that I, I've heard around Scrum. I've said it around Scrum. Scrum doesn't fix your problems; it exposes them, mm-hmm. or it lets you yep. fix them yourself, and maybe your product is the problem um, that you have to address. And maybe the product delivery is the problem you have to address. And maybe the fact that people don't like your product (laughs) is the problem you have to address. Yeah. Okay. And so I did a poll on Twitter or LinkedIn. I can't remember which one, but I asked people, what do they, uh, if you're thinking about doing a product under training, what are you attending it for? Certification required for a job? Knowledge? Knowledge? validation or are you curious? So I gave those four options. Mm. Far and away, the winner was certification Mm. required for the job. Um, Is that something you guys are seeing as well? Are you seeing people who are just curious or people who say, you know, I've been a product owner for two years. I think I want my certifications. I'm coming to your class to get it. Or is it something of, you know, in order to get this job, I have to be certified.
2: I gotta be honest with you, Corey. I was really hoping that we were gonna do like a family feud thing there with your poll. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I surveyed a hundred people. <laughs> Survey
0: says, well, I, I, if I'd have thought of it, maybe
1: I would. You know, Corey, it's interesting. Todd and I have uh, kind of a our our view into the into the marketplace is kind of different. Um, a lot of our work is private, so a lot of the the, the Fortune 100 reach out to us okay. and they ask for courses, and so in that instance, they're really looking to train up people who are. Yeah, they're new to the role. They've been in the role for a while, but they're looking to, to, to share language, uh, you know, the professional scrum viewpoint um, with their organizations. Uh, and so we see a lot of curiosity. We see a lot of, you know, this is required for the job. You know, the company wants us to take this course, but it, a lot of it is in the spirit of education um, and, and of learning the, the role. Now, now, keep in mind there, the majority of those people still take the assessment and get the certification, right? right. So I'm not saying that certification is not a component, Um, But we do see, especially from the private companies, it's more of a, hey, we want to level our people up. We're trying to invest in our teams, which is great to see. Now, we do run, I think, six uh, professional Scrum product owner courses publicly every year. And so there are six opportunities to join us. Um, And in those cases, it's really a mix. You know, there's a lot of different people with a lot of different motivations. And some of them want to learn. Some of them want to get certified to um, help elevate them in, in the marketplace, which we think is great as well. And there's a lot of combinations, right? It's like, I'm, I'm new to product ownership. Uh, the company's opened up this oppor- opportunity to me. Um, I want to get certified to demonstrate knowledge, but hey, can Ryan and Todd, can you really, can you tell me what the first 90 days is going to look like? So there's this mix of concerns, right? Yeah. And so we see a lot of of different aspects of this question, uh, of this, of this
0: need, right? Okay. Interesting. Um, Something else that just clicked into my head is, given the range, and you said you do a lot of private classes, which is interesting, given the range of where product owners come from, um, I'm not going to make a joke there, but given that some of them are business analysts that are given that title, and given that some people are VPs who are given that, you know, hey, we're going agile, and now you're a product owner, do you see VP-level people sitting in your class and business analysts? level people in your class? And what's the conversations like with those different backgrounds?
2: I think it really depends on the class. I would say for the professional scrum product owner class that it's it would be more often than not, we wouldn't have a VP in that class. We get that a lot in our pal class. So if a VP okay. becomes a product owner, I mean, we do get that from, from time to time. Um, but I would say that it's not a regular occurrence to have them in a professional scrum product owner class. Ryan, would you do agree with that?
1: yeah i I think it's as you said far more common in our in our leadership yeah. course. Um, there have been a few times that come to mind where you've had some of the the different levels and that what what, it, what is always interesting right whether it's a product owner course, a leadership course, a scrum master course um, the ones that really stick out to me are the ones where uh, we've had a c level person so we we actually have a number of courses where a CEO uh, of fairly large companies will sit the course uh most recently, one of the largest I mean, massive company, their CTO joined us. Nice. And the conversations are interesting in that you get to see and what it kind of exposes. And this is a natural thing in companies. The way that imp- information flows up, it's filtered,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so when people that are on the ground working start talking about the work, that there's a lot of questions the higher up a person is like, well, wait a minute. I, s- I thought we solved this over here. And I thought that this product initiative was set. And you start seeing that not a lack of alignment, but you just see the different perspectives coming out on certain initiatives. And, and you'll see like you know uh, the business analyst or the product owner, hey, we we're really disappointed in this aspect and this release wasn't what we thought it was. And the executive swoops in and says, no, wait a minute. We've been talking about this with the board. Like Everyone is excited. Yeah. And you see that disconnect in value and you see that disconnect in, and, and it's fun to, because then they realize we need to connect that. And so what if we use sprint goals and product goals and product visions and corporate initiatives to create that alignment from top to bottom? right? We've had conversations like that recently with those higher level people who have attended our courses and it's leading to really good things. And it, it, that I think that's the fun
0: aspect uh, that that's come out of, of those situations. That's encouraging because the, the question I see and the thing I see more often than not when I talk to product owners or, or product owners writing to the show or anything is about proxies. Is they are a <laughs> proxy or the person they need as designated as the product owner isn't doing the job. So who who does it? Um, you know, yes, there's always dark scrum, zombie scrum, all those things. But the number one problem that I see is around proxy product ownership. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. It's a it's a real thing. I'm not denying that that problem isn't out there. But I don't know. We're seeing signs that perhaps we're getting a little better at that as an industry. I hope that's true. If not, scrum masters step up. Where are you? Yeah. You know, help your product owners out. You're supposed to be a partner to them. You're supposed to be working with them to get through that issue, Right.
0: Very good. Um, is there other materials other than the Scrum Guide and those series of videos that you like folks to know before they come in? Is there anything uh, structural? I know you talked about EVM too, but anything else that's kind of not Scrum or product specific, but maybe product management skills or mm-hmm. anything else around there? Uh, so, I mean, maybe not before
2: they come in, but I think that, um, that product owners need to study some stuff around. Uh, like, I, I really like some of the stuff emerging from the design thinking community. Yeah. Right. I think that there's some really awesome stuff there. It's interesting when you start to talk about, um, with, fr- I start to talk with friends from the design thinking community and they'll be like, Oh, I just ran this workshop and I did this. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds like a liberating structure. Right. Yeah. Like it's interesting how there's like a, a lot of cohesion there. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's some really good follow on material there. Obviously, the stuff that's done with lean UX is, is brilliant to just to have that. Um, you know, every product owner is going to have their strength and their weaknesses. Right. And that's okay. Sure. Um, and it's okay to understand your weaknesses and delegate that. Uh, for me, budget yes. management, I had somebody manage a budget and I just kind of stayed in the loop from it. I knew what a sprint cost and I, right. Like uh, you, yeah. you can't be mm-hmm. a unicorn. Um, they aren't real, I don't think. So, um, <laughs> so I, I think, I think kind of knowing that, but, but, um, uh, um keep kind of keeping multifaceted and, you know, and, and, and keep researching things from product management perspective is important.
0: Very cool. So, product owners, if you're thinking about taking a course, if you're looking at, you know, what do I want to do to continue my career, what do I want to do to get that job, if there's something you want to do and it involves going to a training course, a certification course, Uh, You heard some tips here. (laughs) Read the Scrum Guide, please. Uh, Watch the series of videos that uh, Ryan and Todd have on their channel. Uh, Look, I mean, listen to all these episodes of my podcast, of course, because we're always talking about product ownership. Um, And then go to the course. Get a little practical experience. I always want people to get a little practical experience um, before they go, just so they have some understanding of, oh, this is what that means or this is what that's trying to do. So um, that's Great that you guys are asking and pushing that out there, so that the deeper discussion is that two-day class.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's where the value is. I think for the product owner, right? It's and and I love your call to action there, Corey, about uh, getting some experience. I, I we find you got to suffer a little bit to learn, yeah. And so you can show up to a class and say, "Hey, this kind of hurt. How do I not have this happen again?" And it 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 gives us also it gives Todd and I a sense of of how we can best be effective as trainers too, right? If If people are showing up with some experience, they're asking some hands on questions, it might give us a a chance to pivot and shift into other topic areas that that could be really beneficial, especially in a private setting. Right. And so that that stuff really helps out. And that 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 initial experience, even if it's like three months. If you suffer just a little bit, you know, ah, this didn't, my product backlog is kind of a mess. What can I do? Awesome. We will dig into product backlog management and we will talk about that if you got a thousand things in your product backlog, it's really hard to understand your product that you probably need to trim that down. And, but without that contextual type of experience, some of those, those uh, specializations and that deeper discussion, it's a lot harder to provoke and bring out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's something I've, people have asked, you know, well, if I'm not a product owner yet. And I'm, how do I get that experience? I tell them to look at a home project, use, run, run Scrum with it. Uh, anything you're trying to plan, uh, use Scrum with it. I mean, I've planned a kitchen remodel like that. So there's lots of examples of people using Scrum as practice.
1: You know, I'll give away uh, one of my favorite interview questions for product owners. And, and I think every product, every pat- perspective, perspective uh, product owner, grab an iPhone or a, an Android, and write a blog post about the four things you would change as a product person right and and so when i've got a product owner in front of me and we're we're interviewing them or we're prepping them for a job that's my first question like pull the pull the device out of your pocket and tell me four things you would immediately want to change and if they can't off the top of their head fire that off i'm a little concerned yeah right i mean product people are constantly thinking about improvements to the the the, the things that we use constantly day in and day out and and I think that kind of practice, even just blogging about it or, or doing a podcast, like even if you're just talking to yourself and your mom's the only other person who downloads it, get that experience talking and thinking about products. And so that when you're in a situation like this, talking to people like us, it's a natural thing, right? And uh, and I think even that could be beneficial. Home projects are great. Thinking about existing projects or products are great. Um, read as much as you can. You ask some good resources. I think... Um, Ah, uh, the Professional Scrum Product Owner by uh, Don McGrill and Ralph Joachim is great. Anything by Bob Galen is mm-hmm. excellent. Um, I think Henrik Nyberg has a great uh, offering out there as well. I mean, uh, or Roman Pickler has a great book out there too. I mean, but anything by Bob Galen and and Don and Ralph's book, um, I mean that stuff. I, I think that's just par for the course, right? I yeah. mean, you've got to read that stuff if you're in the product uh, yeah. if you're in the product owner world, but. Uh, yeah, keep digging, keep working. I think people who do the deep work in this space uh, really do end up succeeding. Yeah. Good luck.
2: Stay, um, stay after it. And uh, remember uh, um, that when you're coping with complexity, that uh, you can drive yourself crazy by trying to find causality between what you're shipping and your outcomes, right? Um, just get comfortable with it. Yes. And uh, enjoy the ride.
0: Yes, absolutely. All right, so we'll have links to Todd and Ryan's uh, YouTube channel where they do daily Scrum videos. They do all kinds of other topics, interesting things, all the links to the EBM and the intro to Scrum topics that we talked about. Um, and also, uh, we'll have links to their Twitter feeds where you can see Ellen argue with various people about Scrum. Um, and it's <laughs> it's very entertaining. <laughs> I'm trying to get better about not... yeah. So thank you guys very much.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Corey. Hey, thanks, Corey. Thanks for having us. Good seeing
0: you. Thank you for writing in and supporting the show. If you have a question about product ownership or anything else, you can find the show on Twitter at DeliverCast or email at DeliverCast at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show, you can buy me a coffee through the links in the description or set up some consulting time at SeekTaiJu.com. We'll hit a couple questions. First one is from Roger. says, are the small incremental changes the most important says, I'm in the throes of user interviews and I'm involving them to hear their vision of the product uh, should be or how it solves their problems. I assess what they've said and then implement small incremental changes that align with the current flow and then feasible or make sense. How do I know if these tiny, tiny changes are correct or improving the product and experience? It's very hard to get people to try something new to validate the changes were positive and maybe it's just someone also a little too shy and asking them to try it. Great question. Uh, small incremental changes, most important. Yes. Uh, those are the ones that you can deliver quickly. Those are the ones that you can test quickly. Those are the ones that you can see whether you're on the right path or not. So I'd much rather have many small steps, um, as g Ball Hill puts it, than large deployment releases for lots of things. Uh, the time to take, the impact, all that stuff. Uh, you're doing the right thing with understanding how their problems are being solved with your product, um, understanding what would help, um, understanding what to do next. So yes. Follow up with them um, is the first thing to see. Uh, You've made a change, go back to them. Did they try it? Did it work? Um, If not, why not? If they didn't try it, why not? Uh, The other thing that you need to be doing, I think is very important, is getting data on the product usage. So using something like Pendo or Amplitude or Mixpanel or something else that shows you how the product is being used. Um, So you deploy a new capability, you deploy a new button, a new feature, a new page, whatever. How is that page being used? So yes, sitting down and talking to people, watching them work is important. You can't do that for a thousand people. So that's where the data comes in. I want both. I want to sit down with people and watch and get into their heads about how they're doing things. And then I want to see large amounts of data on it. Um, and then I can ask questions about that. So those are the things that I would do, Roger, uh, but I think you're on the right track. But yes, also be a little less shy. Practice that. It's a good habit to get out of. And Patricia has a question about how much do you care about the small details? Says so I do talk to a lot to our designer and provide them with a lot of constructive feedback. But I usually will trust him with regards to font weights or pixel sizes or things like that. When the developers ask me these kind of questions, I either ask them to ask the designer or say something like, "You're a smart guy, and I think you'd have a really good judgment. So, what do you think would work the best, and when?" we have a conversation about it. Is it all right to be like this? Or should it be my job to have an option about even the smallest detail? Ah, interesting question. I love details. <laughs> I get into them sometimes too much. You do not want to be, as a product owner, part of deciding font weights, pixel sizes, that type of stuff. That is definitely designer type work or it's definitely team type work. Um, you can give guidance. You can provide standards, if your company has a standard design document that shows which fonts and colors and pixel sizes and button weights and things like that to use, then yes, use that as an input to the team. Otherwise, I would defer to the designer unless you are the only person doing design, and then yes, it is you. Um, But I I do think you're doing the right thing doing that. Uh, The details I would get into around that is around The workflows is around, does this accomplish the job? Does it accomplish the job in the shortest amount of time possible? Are there steps that we can cut out? Those are the details that I would like to get into. But I do care about the fact that it looks the right way on the right resolution screen. But that's as a product owner job. It shouldn't be your responsibility. It should be your concern. Does that make sense? Maybe not. But that's how I think about it. Then I had a question from Karen says, clock in 70 to 80 hours in a week and still the backlog keeps increasing. (laughs) I started a new job and now into the eighth week. My to-do list has 10 to 15 items on a daily basis. The more I work to reduce it, the more is pushed into my bucket. Since I stood my ground and said I cannot work on one line of requirements, change the complete product without any context. The folks ganged up in a call and started lecturing me on speed of delivery, execution, MVP versus planned releases, etc. It's completely demotivational and I don't feel like working anymore with this team. How do you handle such situations when old timers in a startup just push something which they never got time to do or want someone new to pick up dirty tasks? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's tough. Um, a, it's tough to begin a new job anyway. B, it's tough to say no and stand your ground and then get run over sometimes. Um, some things I would look at, uh, there's no way you can do enough here um, to satisfy that. Uh, 70, 80 hours, 10 to 15 items on a daily basis, working as much as you can, that's not going to fix the problem. Uh, e- even if you could fix Catch up uh, in a normal amount of work in a week, it's not going to be enough. You're not going to be able to catch up. The problem this is where I would tackle this from a vision, strategy, and alignment problem, which is what is our product vision? What is the strategy for that vision? What are the priorities that we're working on? And how are we doing on those? And then pick the top. One to five, maybe one to three is better. And anything else, say no to. Um, And don't do it. Maybe the top one to five, definitely the top one to three would be better. And start working on those and start talking about those and start finishing those and then go to the other ones. Um, There's always going to be more work. There's always going to be less time than you have. Um, Understanding the context that the work is coming in on, again, does this align to our... Priorities. This is aligned to the strategy. This is aligned to our vision. If not, why are we doing it? Um, and get them to make some tough decisions, um, starting at the vision strategy level. Don't let them prioritize the different tickets or anything else. That is a way to madness. But I understand it's demotivational for you. Um, I've been there too. It's demotivational for a lot of people. Um, the only thing you can control is the list of things that you're working on, and the strategy for those things. So I like to have my top five things I'm working on. It meets these top five for the strategies or the vision. um, And this is what I'm working on. And these other things, I'm not touching. I'm not looking at them. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm not going to go to a meeting about them. You can talk about them all you want to. um, And I'm not going to prioritize them for the team to work on. Um, If you want to change that, then you can change the product owner. Uh, You can change the company, you can change the team, you can change all kinds of other things. Uh, But it doesn't make sense, and it's not sustainable. And one of the things about Scrum is a sustainable pace. So, Uh, and I think that's smart anyway. 70, 80 hours a week is not sustainable. I wouldn't even want to do that for a short term. But that's up to you, Karen. Decide what's important and go do it. So a special thank you to Todd Miller and Ryan Ripley today. Again, we'll have links to their Agile for Humans community and YouTube channel. Go over there and check them out. That will do it for this episode. I hope you have a great day. Thank you all so much for listening. All the opinions expressed here are mine. Find more of them. That is Corey Bryan on Twitter. That is episode 137 delivered. Go out and own the outcome. Podcast network. For more shows and information, visit agilepodcastnetwork.com.